Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Rather, we're speaking of the rapture or we're speaking of the second coming because there will be a division at both. At the rapture, believers will be separated from unbelievers, caught up into heaven. At the second coming, believers who've trusted in the Lord during the tribulation will be separated from those who are unbelievers. Where do the unbelievers go? They go to judgment. The believers will remain on the planet to enjoy the millennial reign of our Lord and Savior, where we will rule and reign with Him. There truly is a fascination with end times prophecies, and regardless of how you personally believe the order in which these events will take place, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, coming to rule and reign over us all, will be the most amazing day any of us have ever seen. In part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Second Coming, we take up in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, verse 29, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They had asked, when will all these things be? Those things they referred to, well, the destruction of the temple and the other things he'd been prophesying. And, and here he says, and then they said, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? The sign of the Son of Man appears in heaven. I believe the sign of Jesus coming is, in fact, Jesus coming. It's him there, visible, and every eye sees, and everyone knows the Lord is returning, and the Lord has returned. What will happen? All the tribes of the earth will mourn. They'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, Acts chapter 1, it said he will be coming in the clouds. Here it says he will be coming on the clouds. And in Revelation, it says he'll be coming with the clouds. And it's sort of an interesting picture that appears. In the clouds as he was caught up into heaven. On the clouds as he returns. And then with the clouds, well, Hebrews tells us there's a great cloud of witnesses looking on. And once we're raptured, we'll join that great crowd in the clouds. Maybe it's where they got the idea that, you know, we're going to sit on little clouds with little harps and we'll have wings and we'll be doing that whole thing. I'm just hoping that it's blues harps and not those harps, but I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty convinced that we're not going to be sitting on the clouds, hanging out, doing nothing for eternity. No, we're going to return to rule and reign with him. That's his promise. That's his testimony. And his word, as he'll tell us in a moment, it can be and should be counted on. Well, he'll appear coming on the clouds and in the clouds and with those clouds of witnesses. And he will come with power and great glory. As Revelation 1-7 says, every eye will see and they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to another. Note that description. He gathers his people together from the four winds of heaven. What's he doing? He's returning to the earth to establish his kingdom on the earth. Now, 
learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very doors. By the way, the key phrase here is all these things. He adds it again. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, the fig tree was one of many symbols of national Israel. Not just the fig tree, they were called God's vineyard. They are called his fig tree in Jeremiah 24, Hosea 9, Joel 1. But they're called his vineyard and many other things in scripture. So he's saying, listen, learn from the fig tree. Many see, and I'm one of them, that this could be a reference to the rebirth of the nation, the regathering of the nation Israel. But, but here's what's more important. He says, when you see all these things, what are all these things? Well, he'd spoken of wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes, those increasing in frequency and intensity, false Christ, false prophets, well, Israel restored, regathered, Antichrist revealed, the temple rebuilt, the sacrifices reinstated, and then Antichrist in the midst of all of it, as we saw last time, well, Antichrist exposed as he stands in the temple demanding he be worshipped as God. And I believe all he's saying is, if you are here in that generation, at that time, when all these things happen, you got to know it's about to come to a swift and severe conclusion. Now get this, in the first century, this made sense to them. As the temple was destroyed and they began to enter into great tribulation, they thought, this is it, the great tribulation. But we know, because we're looking back, well, no, it wasn't. But nevertheless, they were living as if the days were about to end and the Lord was about to come. And I'm absolutely certain that's how he wanted them to live. Through the centuries, that continued to happen. And even in the last century, World War I, people said, this is it. World War II, they said, this is it. Well, we haven't had World War III, thank God. I think someone once asked Einstein, what do you think we're going to fight World War III with? And he said, well, I don't know about World War III, but I'll tell you what we'll fight World War IV with, sticks and stones. Because if there's a World War III, there won't be anything left or hardly anyone to fight. And we read, of course, last time, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. So he says, watch. That generation that sees all these things take place will be the generation that sees the Lord return. Now, Jesus once again points us backwards. Verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. Well, he points us forward, first of all to the day and hour. And he says, I don't know elsewhere. And he says, the angels don't know. Only my father knows. This, by the way, points out the foolishness, the futility of date setting. I'm not saying don't set a date if you're getting married. No, no, date setting for Jesus' second coming. No, here, here's what happens. It's kind of interesting. Late 87, early 88, there was a guy that put out a book saying 88 reasons why Jesus is returning in 1988. Now, you didn't have to be brilliant to know. He couldn't know that because Jesus says no one can know that. But this guy figured out, well, I'll sell some books. And he did. It was amazing. 
A lot of people sort of following the end times. We continue to, of course, started with in our generation, well, many of us with Hal Lindsey and Pastor Chuck Smith and John Walvert and, and others. More recently, it's been LaHaye with the Left Behind series and, and those kind of things. It continues on. But get this, this guy publishes a book saying, I know when the Lord's coming back. And it's here's 88 reasons why he's coming back in 1988. Now, here's the most amazing thing to me. Of course, you know, because here it is, 2004, the Lord didn't make it in 1988. But guess what happened in 1989? The guy published another book. You know the title of the book? A hundred, oh no, no, 89 reasons why Jesus is returning in 1989. And not that that's the most amazing thing. People bought the book. I'm like, come on, you got the 88. He's only adding one reason. Skip over and you know he's a false prophet. The Lord didn't come back. By the way, that's how you can know a false prophet. If these things he prophesies doesn't come to pass, well, he's not speaking for me. He says, they ran, but they never stood in my presence to hear my word. Had they stood in my presence, they would have spoken my word and they would have turned my people back to me. That's not what this guy was doing at all. He was drawing people to himself. He's the same guy by the way, still a powerful radio and television ministry. And to this day, recently, he published some stuff and began to teach that God was no longer operating in the churches, that everyone should leave the churches, that they should stop supporting the churches, that God was only working through one ministry. And guess what ministry that was? His ministry. Of course, you need to give and make sure you give it all to him because he needs more money to continue to promote Hey, this guy's his own false prophet, and he's promoting a lie. And, and if I could sit face to face with him, I would tell him, you're a heretic. You need to repent, man. You're going to be judged by God. But, well, pray maybe the Lord will open up the door. I know someone who works there close to him and alongside could maybe get me in there. But the bottom line is... He says, no one knows the day or hour. Now, Chuck Missler, if you're familiar with him, and I know not all of you are, he taught at Calvary Costa Mesa and continues to. Powerful, wonderful teacher. One of my early teachers as a young Christian. And, and uh, he told us one day, well, actually Tom was reminding me that he had mentioned it. And, 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 and Chuck had said, well, listen, I figured out when the Lord's coming. I know the hour of his return. And, you know, of course, we're like, Chuck, that's heretical, man. Nobody knows that. And he goes, no, I, I got it. We're like, oh, yeah, when is it? He goes, it's between 1 and 2 o'clock. 1 and 2 o'clock. How did you come to that conclusion? Well, because somewhere it will be between 1 and 2 o'clock when the Lord returns. I think it through. All those time zones. Well, it is going to be 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock somewhere. But... Yeah, was Chuck joking? Yeah, was he being facetious? Yeah, Chuck was the kind of guy when you went to his studies, the first thing he told you is be a Berean. In other words, don't, don't believe anything I tell you. Why? What was he trying to do? He was trying to teach us to think. Not just to say, okay, well, pastor said it must be true. Well, Chuck Mister, he's written books, has tapes, he's famous, he must be right. No, listen, lots of people are writing and publishing and preaching and teaching, but they're not Rooted in the truth. They're not sharing the truth. And, and there are lots and lots of people who are. But you need to be able to discern for yourself. So you need to be a Berean. And, and you need to study and show yourself approved. And you need to test all things and hold fast that which is good. Why? Jesus goes on to say, look, it's going to be like the days of Noah. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Days of Noah. You could pretty much summarize those days with three words idolatry, immorality, 
and indifference. Idolatry, immorality, and indifference. Did you know that they were caught off guard? That's what the passage goes on to say. But it didn't have to be that way. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, we're told. And for 120 years, he built the ark and preached that judgment was coming. How many people listened? How many people responded? Only his family. He, like Joshua, could say, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And one way or another, whether they wanted to or not, he said, you're on the ark, man, we're going. And they went. But nobody else joined in. Is that amazing? That someone could preach for over a century and say, listen, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. Well, when judgment didn't come in 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, well, where's the promise of his coming? He's not coming. Judgment's not coming. And he says, it'll be like that in the days before the flood, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Now, he's not mentioning idolatry or immorality there, just indifference. And understand, it is as great a sin, as dangerous and devastating a sin. You don't have to be steeped in idolatry or immorality to be judged by God, to perish in the judgment. You just need to be indifferent to the claims of Christ and the call of Christ. If that's you, you need to wake up. You need to come to your senses and realize that judgment came. That's the proof that when God says, I'm going to judge, I do and will. And judgment's coming and he says it's coming. He says, it, you know, they were just going about their business and different to the call of the Lord and did not know, verse 39, until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, Bible teachers differ in these next few verses as to if this is talking about the rapture of the church or if it's talking about the judgment that follows, well, that time of great tribulation when Jesus returns, and as we'll see in the next chapter, he divides those who've trusted in him during the time of the tribulation, who've made it through, lived through it, believed in him, from those who've rejected him who've continued to live in idolatry and immorality and indifference. And so while commentators differ, here's what I'm thinking. Our Lord is so resourceful, so together, that we can read this and say, well, listen, we are looking for the rapture. And we know nothing need happen until he raptures us. And when the rapture happens, well, this is exactly what will happen. Two will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two will be grinding at the mill. One will be taking, the other left. That is what's going to happen at the rapture. That's why many of those early movies, Thief in the Night and all of those, well, they portrayed it that way, you see, that this is speaking of the rapture. Could it be? Hey, it just might be. But what if our Lord was trying to speak to us because that's what we're looking forward to and trying to speak to those who will be here after we're gone who say, maybe I ought to look at the Bible. Didn't our friends, our relatives, our family, our roommates, our schoolmates, our co-workers, weren't they talking about something in the Bible that said that all of this stuff that we see happening is going to happen? Cashless society, one world government, this great ecumenical movement, breaking down all the barriers that, well, those safety barriers that say, hey, there's salvation in Christ and in Him alone. What about the cashless society, the mark of the beast, all of that? It's all going to happen. And I'm thinking, 
Well, see, we won't need a Bible when we get to heaven. Even if you're holding it when the rapture happens, you'll probably just drop it and leave it behind. But people will pick these things up. And, and when they do, they're not going to read, well, the rapture here. They're going to say, listen, the Lord is coming and he's coming in judgment. Why? That's what all of Matthew 24 is about. And what's going to happen? Two will be in the field, one taken. Two will be at the mill, one taken, the other left. You see, this could be speaking of the rapture, as some say it is. And it could be speaking of the judgment, as many says it is. Contextually, it would appear that these go to judgment. Linguistically, it's quite possible that it's saying, hey, because there's a difference in the language, maybe this is the rapture. Or maybe really our Lord is saying, hey, first century, neither the rapture nor the judgment, but they clung to this tenaciously. They held on to this reality. The Lord's coming, a judgment's coming. And on a very practical level, whether we're speaking of the rapture or we're speaking of the second coming, because there will be a division at both. At the rapture, believers will be separated from unbelievers, caught up into heaven. At the second coming, believers who've trusted in the Lord during the tribulation will be separated from those who are unbelievers. Where do the unbelievers go? They go to judgment. The believers will remain on the planet to enjoy the millennial reign of our Lord and Savior, where we will rule and reign with Him, where the disciples will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel as He promised they would. So the bottom line in all of this is verse 42. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. See it? It worked first century. It works pre-rapture. And it'll work right before the judgment. Watch. You don't know. No one knows. But we can be watching. And he says, if, know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. Watch. Be ready. And then he gives us an illustration and, and we conclude our time in Matthew 24 with it. Who then is that faithful and wise servant? Well, I know I'd like to be described that way by my Lord. I would think that would be your wish as well. How do we know who's faithful and wise? Who is that faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Those who are watching, those who are ready, those who are working occupying till he comes, about his business. He says, hey, here's a beatitude, a blessing on you. Blessed is that servant, servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. See, I love this. It's sort of a confirmation that I'm not daydreaming that we'll have something to do in the kingdom. No, he's, he says, I'll give you more. Faithful now, faithful now, more to come. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day he's not looking for him and in an hour he's not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Get it? He separates the two. They both know that there is a Lord. They may actually both believe in the Lord. They know the Lord has gone away and promised to return. That there's going to be a separation, there's going to be a division, but one sets his heart to watch, to be ready, and to be working. The other, eh, indifferent to the claims and 
call of God on his life, just decides, I'm going to do my own thing. He grows violent, gets drunk, begins to hang with the hypocrites. Does it make sense that he would end up appointed a place with those hypocrites? You know, someone said to me one time, man, I, I don't even like going to church because, you know, it's just filled with hypocrites and I don't know if I'd want to be in heaven. But listen, here's the deal. If you don't like hypocrites, you really want to be in heaven because all the hypocrites won't be there. And so the bottom line is, he says he will cut him in two, appoint his portion with the hypocrites, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where does that leave us? Well, for those first disciples, they were filled with hope and anticipation. When they saw the temple destroyed, they said, hey, our Lord warned us this was coming. And when they saw great persecution, tribulation, they thought, maybe this is it. Let's be watching. Let's be ready. Let's get working. And then through the centuries, it's continued on. And I'd say today, God is saying to those of us who believe, be watching, be ready, be working. And he would say to you who've yet to believe, man, make a decision, figure it out. False Christ and false prophets abounding, wars and rumors of wars, famines and pestilence and earthquakes. So much more just ahead and all of it devastating and God doesn't want you to go through it. He doesn't want you to experience it. God has made a way. He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Why? Well, it's so simple. The wages of sin is death. That means because I've sinned and because you've sinned, what we've got coming is death. We've earned that. Destruction, separation from our Lord eternally. But Jesus, because of his great love, and the Father, because of his great love, well, Jesus died, we're told, for your sins and for mine. He was buried and rose again. And he offers you forgiveness, the pardon of your sins. But you can know all that's true and affirm it intellectually and believe it philosophically and still be lost to him. You can become a religious person, a church guy or gal. You can get the slogans down and learn the songs and study the scriptures and still be lost to him. Why? Unless a man be born again, unless a woman, a boy or girl be born again, he'll never see the kingdom of heaven. You need a spiritual birth. Jesus said that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I tell you, you must be born again. So the question is, have you? If you have, then be watching, be ready, be working. If you haven't, today is the day of salvation. So let's open our hearts and let's pray and just say, Lord, have your way. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your words of encouragement to us. And Lord, for some, they've been words of great comfort. And there's a peace that we didn't enter with that we'll take home with us. You've reminded us, Lord, that, yeah, the world's going to get worse and worse, but all of this will ultimately lead to your coming and your kingdom. And, Lord, we know long before all that goes down, we'll hear that trumpet and the voice of the archangel and we'll be caught up together with you in the air. And when you return on and in the clouds, you'll be returning with the clouds of witnesses, with those crowds. We'll be in that assembly. First, worshiping you at the throne of the Father, casting our crowns at your feet. Then returning with you to rule and reign for a thousand years. And Lord, we pray not one here would fail to realize that that's your plan and purpose for them as well. And if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus, your situation could not be more serious. 
Jesus said, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. And if you die in your sins, you'll be judged for your sins and you will hear, depart from me because there's no way you can get there and make it and be accepted on your own, be acceptable on your own. But Jesus made a way. He opened the way as he laid down his life, died on that cross, shed his blood. And if you get all that and you've yet to say, okay, Lord, I give up. I give my life to you. Man, what are you thinking? Why are you waiting? I have literally heard unbelievers say that they will believe it when they see it. In other words, they'll choose to believe when these events actually begin to happen. There are two really big problems with that. If they die before these days arrive, well, they will have died in their sins and are lost forever. But if they do see these days arrive, it's most likely that placing their faith in Christ at that time is going to cost them their lives. Now, if a person is unwilling to give their life to Christ while it is still free to do so, why would he think he'd be willing to do so when the cost will be so much greater? The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.